Blog Talk Radio. Choices, decisions, frustrations, and pain. Knowing I'm going to forget her someday. While I still can, I'll challenge all my loved ones, every friend, to look inside their hearts and understand that I. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio Show. I'm your host and founder, Lori LeBay. And first of all, I want to say I hope you're just having a wonderful and blessed holiday season. And hopefully it's warm where you are. It's colder than the Dickens here here in Minnesota, but tis of the season. Before I jump into the show, um, since we always get new listeners, I, I like to tell people a little bit about Alzheimer's Speaks, what we're about, why we're doing what we're doing. Um, bottom line is we're an advocacy-based company providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care culture from crisis to comfort around the world. We believe that by joining forces and sharing knowledge and just having these everyday conversations about life with dementia, we can remove the stigmas uh, attached to memory loss and help those living with this disease live purpose-filled lives. Together, we can help everyone understand the true needs by just having these conversations. The myths and the stigmas are creating such great fear and isolation for people. It really has to stop, and each of us has the power to help that. So we believe we can really win this battle against dementia, but the only way we're going to do that is working together. And I know that we're making a difference because we were honored uh, with the recognition of being the number one influencer online regarding Alzheimer's with ShareCare and Dr. Oz. And that was not about me. That was not about Alzheimer's Speaks. That was about each one of you liking, taking taking just that second of your time to like an episode and share it on your Facebook, share it with your um Twitter fan or your Google circles or your LinkedIn groups, um, each time you do that, it matters because there are people out there just looking for a door to open and you're allowing that information to fall into their lap. And when it's time, um, they'll open it. If this is a, a real important thing. So again, I thank you very, very much for for being part of this. This is just such a, a true need out there. Um, I also want to let you know that on Alzheimer's Speaks, this is an open platform, so you can join the conversation by calling in live at 714-364-4757. That's 714 714- 
364-4757, or you can use your chat box as well. And I'll be monitoring both. I'll pull you in when there's a gap in the conversation. And we really have a very wonderful, wonderful show for you today. But before I introduce our first guest, who's going to be uh, Tipa Snow, I do want to just give a shout-out um, to some organizations that I, I um really hold in high esteem. First is Alzheimer's Disease International. And if you are looking for support anywhere in the world, they are the association of all the Alzheimer's associations anywhere in the world. Plus, they've got um, great information on their site regarding um, research and collaborations that are happening. Um, the Lewy Body Association, the uh, Frontal Temporal Lobe, the uh, National Aphasia organizations are all great resources for you as well. When you're dealing with specifics of different types of dementia, it's important to, to be tied in with them as well. And then if you're just looking for kind of some fun ways to connect, there's Music First with Coral Health, and they've done great research on how music impacts us, um, how it can help wake us up and put us to sleep and change our moods. Um, great um, great dis- distraction. I know it works wonderful with my own with my own mom. If you pop on a Frank Sinatra song, she's right there with you. Um, and then there's Puzzle With Me, um, which has built puzzles specifically designed for those with dementia. So larger pieces, fewer pieces, um, and age appropriate. And then the Jiminy Wicket Croquet Game is something that You know, if you're with an organization, um, it's an intergenerational game that can be used on a commercial stage where um, they work with schools and um, senior livings and memory care, as well as, you know, just playing croquet at home. Um, He's designed it uh, real easily so there's not tripping hazards and um, very adaptable. And then the Alzheimer's Studies Group has their third third clinical trial on Tau and are still looking for people. So would love to to have you check all of those out, um, again, if you're in need. So let me go ahead and introduce our first guest. First, I have to tell you, she is one of my mentors. This woman is absolutely phenomenal. And every time I have an opportunity to go see her uh, speak, um, I'm at the door. And when I can't make it, I <laughs> I feel like I'm really missing out on something because Tipa is just, she's not only a nationally renowned educator in dementia and Alzheimer's, but it's it's her style. She is a person that you can really relate to um, because she gives you actual examples of uh, different ways to approach and how our approach makes a huge, huge difference. She does tons of training in the U.S. um, in Canada, and she works with a variety of dementia care providers in both nations to help them develop, improve, and optimize services for people living with dementia. She, um, this just kills me, her schedule I knew was packed, but she does over 350 programs a year. The woman must not sleep. She's received numerous awards in recognition of her clinical and teaching skills. 
um, which are so well-deserved. In addition um, to her independent practice as a speaker and trainer and consultant, she also has clinical appointments with Duke University School of Nursing and the UNC Chapel Hill School of Medicine. In 2006, uh, Tipa founded her company called Positive Approach to providing continuing education, counsel, and consultation based on the Positive Approach Dementia classification model, hands-on caregiving techniques, and uh, staff coaching guidance that she developed. She's published a book called The Gems and Dementia, a guidebook for care partners, and she's featured on a variety of educational uh, DVDs. Uh, She also has just a ton on YouTube as well. Tipa graduated from Duke University and received her master's degree in the University of North Carolina in the Chapel Hill and as an occupational therapist with over 30 years of experience in geriatrics, she has worked as an OT director uh, in a head injury facility, a clinical specialist in geriatrics for the VA Medical Center, and a restoration care coordinator for a long-term care facility. Her hands-on caregiving experience has included providing direct care in home health, assisted living, long-term care, and rehab settings. Um, So she has just such a a unique and broad and wonderful experience um, behind her. She's also served as the Director of Education and Lead Trainer for the Eastern North Carolina Chapter of the Alzheimer's Association and as the Clinical Associate Professor at UNC's School of Medicine for their program on aging. Uh, Tipa's style is, to say the least, unique. She's very entertaining and energetic, and she gets right in there with the with the group. And if you haven't seen her, you're going to have some opportunities because she's got some some uh, wonderful speaking engagements lined up. I would highly, highly recommend that you um, that you try to get to her uh, because you will learn so much. If you are a family member, if you are a person living with dementia, or if you're a professional, you'll be amazed at at what you can learn from this woman. So welcome, Tipa. How are you doing today? I am fine. How are you doing, Lori? I, I'm doing wonderful. I'm doing wonderful. And I'm just Sounds thrilled like you're to have older you. than we are. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, they were talking twelve below last night and it's working its way up and, and actually that's not too bad compared to up north. Uh in parts they were gonna be forty below. So <laughs> Ooh, this is why so, I stay in North Carolina when I get a chance. <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't sound like you're there a whole heck of a lot with that uh no. that work schedule. <laughs> I know you've been to Minnesota a few times this year, and I haven't been able to catch you because uh, I've been out speaking as well. But um, I always hear just rave reviews um, every every single time. Um, people just adore you. So, um, I, I well, like I, I swear, I, so I'm honest for. about. You know, I, I try to be very honest about what's going on, and and I speak to where people are instead of a theoretical base or something that doesn't necessarily ring true. So I think that's sort of part of what it is. Is sort of, I see it from the ground up, not from sixty thousand feet down. 
And and I think that's such an important difference. I know in my speaking, I, I try to do the same thing. And mm-hmm. it's that ability for people to relate and be able to walk away and say, A, she gets this, she's lived this, she knows this, <laughs> and B, putting it in simple terms where someone can walk away and go, I can do this. I can do yeah, this. And, yeah, it's about empowering people, not like really making a group or a, or an individual feel hopeless and helpless. It's not about what you did yesterday. It's about what's the possibility of what you can do tomorrow when you get another chance. Because you will, I mean, the probability is you'll have another chance to try something different. If you're willing, and you're willing and able to learn the new thing, then you can give it a shot and see what happens. Well, and I, I love that attitude because sometimes we do. We just beat ourselves up so horrendously and we we like throw ourselves down the black hole and yes. there's tomorrow there's the next moment <laughs> you know? yeah um, yeah it's, it's like we get lost in in sort of a bad habits of for both ourselves and the people we care about we 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 do it to ourselves and then we do it to them without meaning to because we get flustered and frustrated yeah um, yeah, well, and there's so many times there's not people that understand um, because, yeah. again, we're here in the U.S., we're not comfortable having this conversation. We'd rather uh-uh. say, oh, you know, oh, that's too bad, uh, next topic, please. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, yeah, mom's having a few memory problems or, you know, my husband, my husband, yeah, he, you know, well, you know, he's always been a little, and it's like, whoa, 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 a little like? Well, it's a little different now. Let's get it out on the table and let's talk a little bit about how things are changing. Um, so you can both figure out what we're going to do from here. But it's just really, it's a real challenge in the U.S. We we don't like to get the laundry out and take a look and see what's stained and what's good and what are we going to do about it. Yeah, and and it's, you know, one of my mantras, it's about progress, not perfection. Uh-huh. And so not, and to me, if dementia teaches us anything, it's that. <laughs> oh, that intolerance. <laughs> Um, because it's constantly shifting and changing, and as soon as you think you have it figured out, well, boom, you know, they got yeah. <laughs> exactly. Game. I mean, I, yeah, one time I was I was telling somebody, it was like, it's like you're on a surfboard, and you think you're just getting the rhythm of the waves, and suddenly it's like, whoa, new weather front coming in, and, and you can't ever, like, get real comfortable, because as soon as you get comfortable with one thing, something else changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. just get ready. The shore's there. You're going to meet it occasionally. So, you know, get back up, dust yourself off, and let's see, what did I learn from that? Um, and I think that's, I've learned more by my mistakes frequently than I have by my successes. They're wonderful. When you get a when you get an easy win, it's like, yay! But then when you have the struggles, it's sometimes really rewarding when you finally do have that moment of, oh, 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 that's what they were trying to tell me with that. Now I get it. Oh, jeez. Yep. Yeah. And the and the thing that we have to do that I don't think we do well here again in the US is share that knowledge. Mm-hmm. Don't just keep it to yourself. <laughs> you know, <laughs> don't just sit there and watch someone else struggle. Yeah. Share it. Oh, it's yeah. Like, yeah. It's hysterical. <laughs> it's sort of like, look, I can be Superman and it's like nobody needs to be Superman. We all need to be on the team. It would be more helpful if we all knew the secret. Could we all have it? Yeah. Yeah, and the the other thing that I love about your your teaching technique is, to me, you really um, have a style. Uh, again, I think that very much aligns with, with how I feel too. 
um, on my 30-year journey with my mom is, you know, it's about having a toolbox. It's not about having, you know, exactly. one little tool no. that's going to, yeah. you know, one magic yeah. key, you know, exactly. but it's, and it's about the ability to think creatively mm-hmm. and listen closely and actually hear what's, what you're yeah. being told, if and, it's in words and, or not. Yeah. And, Lori, one of the really exciting things that I hear you talking about, which very few people talk about, is everybody wants a cookbook. And I can't give you a cookbook. What I can do is give you a toolbox. But it's going to be your job to really look and see, okay, well, let me try this tool. But you have to figure out, is it working, is it not? It's not like there's this set recipe that if you do this, you will get this result. And that's what, there's too much of that out there. And, of course, when the person doesn't or the situation doesn't exactly match up or it doesn't go the way you anticipate, then it's like, well, there's something wrong with that person or they're not behaving like they should. And it's like, well, we already know something's wrong. What do we, I mean, we misjudged what it was or we did we missed a piece but trying to blame anybody or the situation only for what's going on it just it's it's so frustrating for me when people are unwilling to do anything but follow the recipe and it's like but it's not working why are yeah. we still doing this recipe that doesn't work let's look at the pieces and let's see if we can look at the toolbox and let's see what might work better um let's try something different um, but we've got to give yeah. up what we're familiar with to do that. I have to try a new opportunity. I can't do the same old recipe. Yeah. Well, and just because you always had Italian on Wednesday yeah. doesn't mean that's going to work now because they don't know it's yeah. Wednesday. That's <laughs> right. Nor do they care. You know, no. the, the filters have gone and and things change. And, you know, one of the things that I try to tell people is, and routines, we all know, and patterns are really important when it comes to dementia. But we also have to realize why are we holding on to those routines? Is it because we're more comfortable with it and trying to, you know, make them fit? Because if, when we adjust our routine and they're more comfortable, everybody's more comfortable, more happy, uh-huh. more joyful. And mm-hmm. so, you know, whose routine is it and why are we holding on to it so strongly? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, of course. And in, in the more fatigued and the more frustrated we are, the more rigid it seems like we get in. And that's what I talk a lot about. It's like we all have, and I use gems, a diamond moment where we're rigid, we're inflexible, we're clear, we're sharp, and we can also cut people. And we don't mean to, but we're really being very rigid about things. Um, it's it's hard enough when you have to do that because your brain is changing on you, but to have a caregiver who's being very rigid because – I'm I'm being inflexible at this moment. That's not helpful. Yep. Yep. I well I ran into that actually um where where my mom is staying and it wasn't even mm. the routine with her but it was how I was being treated. And uh-huh. you know, when families are involved, they're caring for families too and they don't realize that. And it was like, wow, you just cut me off at the knees. Out <laughs> and, and um, that wasn't really comfortable, and then that makes me more paranoid of how my mom is being treated, which makes means I'm going to make your life more difficult here because because you know, then I I'm feel like I have to ask more and be more involved because I can't trust because it's all about trust and relationship yep. and and you know it's always going to be about trust and relationship. And the more we can acknowledge it is about trust and relationship. Yes, the dementia is part of it, but it really is about trusting somebody 
to do the kind of thing that we've agreed upon, and yet I'm not necessarily going to be there during that moment when it would occur. Yep. Yeah, big. And and we are a team, and I think Mm -hmm. so many times, that's the other piece that falls apart. If it's a family, if it's a facility, if it's, you know, day services, it doesn't make any difference. We are a team, and a standard in the industry is to separate everybody. And yeah. and then we're not all speaking the same language, which makes it more difficult. We're not all being trained at the same time, at the same right. level, with the same stuff. And then we wonder why there's miscommunication. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and one of my least favorite phrases that people will use is, well, that family's that mother, that sister, that whatever is in denial. They're just in denial. And it's like, well, quit using it like it's a dirty word. They're grieving the loss of someone. Um, so let's let's look at grief and loss and denial is the first stage, so get ready for anger next, you know, if you're if it's following its normal pattern. So let's talk about, yeah, they're grieving loss. So throwing information in their face at that moment is not it. Saying this is really hard. I can't even imagine how you're getting through this day right now. This has got to be one of the most miserable days in the world. I, I truly cannot imagine where you're at right now. But could you tell me some about it? Has changed the whole dynamic from an oppositional to a team building and a team relationship where I'm acknowledging I can't know exactly where you are and I'm not going to pretend to, but what I can hear you saying is you do not need me throwing more stuff at you. What you need is support for where you're at right now. And my goal would be simply can I get the door to open and can we start to talk? And if that's if that's going to happen, then we can get to a new place. Because once I listen to you, then I have a better appreciation and understanding of where you're coming from. Yeah. Now, Tipa, we might have a caller on the line. Sometimes people just call in to listen. Sure. Um, but let me just check here. There's somebody at a 251 number. <clears throat> 251 number, you're live. If you'd like to state your name and if you've got a question or a comment, we'd love to hear it. Oh, I do. My name is Beth Reiner. I'm in Mobile, Alabama, and I just am the biggest fans of you two women. I'm so excited to listen in on your conversation <laughs> this morning because you are talking about everything that I think about day and night and and, de- and dealing with, you know, for the last seven years with the care of my mother. And, uh, Tipa, you might remember me. We had an encounter down in Mobile recently, uh, down at the Five Rivers Delta for lunch. Oh, we sure enough did. Hey, oh, it's so good to hear you. I'm so glad to talk to you. I'm excited about your book. I've ordered it, and I'm waiting for it to get here. It's one of my Christmas presents this year, so I'm really excited and happy for you to have that finally out. Yeah. Well, it's great to hear from you. How's your mom doing? Well, um, that's one of my questions for you today is – I went on a two-week vacation, and, Uh you know, she's in a nursing home, and I left her in care of – of them and when I got back and I can't blame them for the fact that she had a bad cold but now it's in her chest and we're treating mm-hmm. her as if she has pneumonia mm. and I'm just wondering you know we had a brief uh, you've commented briefly about end of life care and you know she's had hospice for some time and I know that traditionally they use morphine toward the end for comfort mm-hmm. you know or just putting them out and and she's not you know necessarily needing that and I wondered right. what your recommendation is, what your what yeah. would you do? What well, would you ask the, for hospice? Yeah. 
Yeah, one of the really important things to look at is what is her comfort level and do they are they appreciating what's normal her and what's not normal her. And one of the things that often help happens when the lungs get really congested is it's just so awful because it's so hard to get oxygen and your your body wants it. Um, so sometimes the medication of choice is really something that dries you out a little bit that makes it a little easier to get the oxygen to where you want. And, and typically, people who just have a dementing illness and not other complicating medical issues, the morphine is not that big of a plus for them because it really isn't a lot of pain. It's more mm-hmm. discomfort. And often things like um, liquid Tylenol or Tylenol suppository or just something, acetaminophen, just to do yeah. muscle pain and joint pain is more, more the thing. But more the drying out a little bit can be helpful. Um, because that's really the distress is is the oxygen and keeping upright a little bit not never laying flat and and lots of comfort touch and whatever comforts her Um, Mm -hmm. and I suspect if I remember right she still recognizes your voice as a person of love and connection Um, oh absolutely yeah and so how people are moving her how people are, are helping her reposition is probably more important than a medication per se because typically what happens is if folks are not able to articulate or or actively interact with someone, it gets sort of easy to sort of see it as a task to be done and not a person to be engaged before we do something. And so when movement happens and it's unanticipated by the person who doesn't have the ability to be aware of the environment outside their body, then it becomes really distressing um, and scary. So looking at those kind of factors, probably more than anything. Um, Does she have a high fever? No, she hasn't even progressed into that uh, level of, Mm -hmm. you know, we haven't gotten that far, but I'm just anticipating and just, you know, when the time, if and when, and Mm -hmm. it may not be this time, but if and when. I just wanted to hear from you on that. And, I, you know, you're right about all of those things, and and that's why I was listening to you so much because you are just right there where I am, and um, that's all good stuff. And she's, you know, she's still able to sit up in the chair, and she's... Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's able to cough up some stuff, and you know, and, maybe, and they've put her on an antibiotic that's supposed to, you know, a really strong antibiotic for pneumonia. So we'll see how that goes. But I, yeah, I mean, and it, you know, I as chance, you know, it's always a cascade. <laughs> so yes, next could come diarrhea, and then there's a nourishment, and then the, so you're sort of, you know, you know that you know that you're juggling balls, and you'll have to be making good choices based on what y'all have talked about and what makes sense for both of you, and particularly what she wanted, and you'll honor that, I know. Right, right. Well, thank you, Tifa. And, Lori, I'm just so happy to speak to you uh, in person. You and I have corresponded online because I'm in your resource directory as Uh caregiversunite.org. And so I feel like I've had a connection with you anyway because you kind of encouraged me to start a Facebook page, which I immediately did when you told Yay. me you couldn't find it. I, I got one. Good, <laughs> and, good, good. And my mission is to get the word out, you know, because it is my biggest topic of conversation and it isn't the most uh, popular conversation, but among people who are struggling with it, it certainly is of interest. Um, lately, I've really wanted to see our community become dementia-friendly, and I am on a coalition with the Area Agency on Aging with some other people who were involved with dementia in our community. And uh, I just wondered, 
how can we kind of get the ball rolling on creating a dementia-friendly community? I know I would love to have a criteria of how you become, you know, how you qualify for getting your Purple Angel, you know, in the window of your business. Well, and Do you that have actually any suggestions? Is- that actually is really simple. We're going to be having some shows um, specifically on that because now that I'm one of the, the 50 ambassadors for the Purple Angel. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, Norms is all about not being complicated. So it's contacting one of the ambassadors. We get you a couple of forms to read um, because being dementia aware and becoming dementia friendly is not about having all the answers. It's about Mm -hmm. being aware of where resources are and being willing to help and being willing to learn and to be willing to share knowledge. Um, You know, I I think sometimes we make it so complicated thinking it's got to be perfect and it's got to be the end-all, be-all, and that's not what the Purple Angel is about. It's about sharing, you know, just putting that symbol up and, and knowing what signs to look for and then being willing to help somebody out or have a conversation and um, mm-hmm. and talk about it. So it, the Purple Angel is really a very, very simple concept, and that's how he wants to keep it. Um, being dementia-friendly, I'll just highlight this quickly, but um, to me there's two different modes. There's one that's kind of a, a medical academic model, and then there's one that's a grassroots model. And, um, you know, the the more academic and medical model um, has much more structure, um, is taking a lot longer to get off the ground, and the grassroots models just says we're getting started, <laughs> and we're gonna we're gonna ebb and we're gonna flow and we're gonna change as we go because that's gonna happen with the other model if they know it or not, because every okay. community is different, and so we can talk offline on that, but we'll be having some shows specifically on that to help people help people out. But I really appreciate you calling in, Beth. It was nice to talk with you. Thank you so much, Laurie, and so I hope both of you have a very Merry Christmas. You, you too. too. Thank you. Um, well, that was nice of her to call in and to yeah. uh, to look at your book as a, her Christmas gift to herself. How fun is that? <laughs> that's, 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 a not, that's a nice gift for yourself. Instead of beating yourself up, you could maybe do something that might help you down the road or right away or at some point anyway. Yeah. You know, maybe we should talk about your book. If you want to tell people a little bit about it and how they can get it, and um, since that's just a nice segue to that, why don't we just do that now? Sure. Well, about two years ago, I was working with uh, Cedar Village, which is a retirement community in Mason, Ohio, and we got an opportunity. uh, Someone's uh, daughter-in-law was willing to put up a grant so that we could sort of put something together. And I've been doing this sort of approach to how do we look at progression of dementia over time. And I'm so tired of numbers where when you hear a number, of course, you know, who'd rather be in first place versus sixth and who'd rather have six of something versus just one. And when we start putting numbers on people, it gives one more value in another. And, And that really bothers me about all the scales that are currently out there, along with the words moderately severe, severe, profound. And so what I was trying to do is come up with something, and I've been working on it a long time, and it it came out a a while ago, um, to look at people as precious and unique no matter where they are. And our job as care partners is to create the right setting and the right care so people can shine 
And if we do that, people can continue to shine. Now, they're different, but they're still precious and unique. And if, if we can figure out how to do this well, life will stay worth living to the very last breath we breathe. And so I had this idea of gems, and so I've been working on it for a long time, and I've had it for a while. And people keep saying, do a book, do a book. And it's like, yeah, 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 well, when will I have the time? And so <laughs> so we managed, we started off with, it was going to be like um, a single page, eight pages it was going to be, and then it got bigger, and then it got bigger, and then it got bigger. And the wonderfulness of Cedar Villages, we were able to take lots of wonderful pictures of folks at different stages. And so the gems are sapphires, diamonds, emeralds, ambers, rubies, and pearls. And in the book, what I've tried to do is identify some of the typical characteristics that you might see with somebody who's who's living at that point in the disease. What are some common things they might be interested in? What are some changes you might notice? What are some, some word-finding issues or language skills and motor skills and, and visual skills that are going to change? And then what is it you can do that's helpful, and what do you do that is simply not helpful for me? Um, and then I give you some skills that you can work on. And so that's basically the book, is helping people really see it from the other person's point of view a little bit. And I, I've got some tables and some, some things in there. But more importantly, I've got basically just real basic skill stuff that typically comes up. So for diamonds, it might be about driving or I don't, I don't, I don't see why I can't continue to live where I'm living, doing what I'm doing, and yet my daughter's in, you know, like, five states away from me and she's getting in crisis all the time because we've been in the ER a couple times and it's getting harder and harder. So it's a strategy book more than it is. It's still not a cookbook. Um, so it's a toolbox book. Mm-hmm. Which is wonderful. And yeah, yeah, it's meant to be. And it's meant to be helpful and it's meant to be sort of a short version and you can stick a bookmark in there. This is where I think I'm at now and ooh boy, this is changing. Oh, oh, they aren't being difficult. The disease is progressing. So you can let go of the idea that why is she doing this and go, Oh, oh, well, shoot, this isn't good. And then you might say, well, gee, this happened really quick. Maybe they have a cold or maybe they have the flu or maybe the medication is doing something weird. Or you might say, hmm, I wonder if things are changing because it's progressing and I need to make adjustments to the setting and the care for a better matchup again. Um, so that's what it's about. Wonderful. And then do they just go to your website to be able to yeah, purchase the Yeah, if you go book? on the website, yeah, exactly. You can go and order it on the website. Yeah, yeah, we'll have it okay. on Amazon soon, or we'll have it in a variety of places soon. But right now, we're just doing it on the website as a starter. Okay, and what's the website um, in case anybody it's wants Tipa, to check it? Yeah, um, it's really it's pretty simple. TipaSnow dot com, just my name dot com. TipaSnow dot com. Okay, wonderful. Well, uh, you know, it'll be it'll be a great um, resource tool for anybody uh, to be able to have because again, it is about that that ebbing and that flow. Um, you know, I, I have a tough time too with with all of the the, and I know that we need them. You know, the clinical stages. Um, but I just saw, you know, my mom. She would kind of float between two, sometimes three yep. stages, and then boop, yep, and she exactly, moved, yeah. You know, you're one. And so yeah, you can be one in the morning, one in the afternoon, and a third in the evening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just kind of like we're not. You know, our moods change mm-hmm. and adjust during the day or like when you were saying about there's not a cookbook you know i might want chinese and then i just might want a burger or pizza or 
whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and you take the ingredients and look at what you got and sort of go, okay, well, how's this shaping up? Oh, it's cooked meat. Okay, well, now I've got to change my thinking because that's not going to work the way I thought it was. And it's just being willing to keep looking and figuring it out. Um, and that's what this book is meant for. It's meant to look at the detail and see where you think, and then maybe you're not. Maybe that's why it's not working, or maybe it's the fact that you're saying, don't you, Lori, now remember we talked about this. And it's like, <laughs> what possessed me to use that word? I mean, just spit yep. it out and get rid of it. You know, it's not going to work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, I have a question for you. In your book, do you go into um, environmental um yeah you know, issues and stuff, because I think that some, sometimes yeah. people just overlook, you know, I mean, it can be yeah. lighting, it can be noise, it can be, like, temperature, exactly. it can be, like, ten, ten zillion things um, that can yes. be easily corrected and adjusted. But Absolutely. Not, not if we don't know to look for them. Right, and one of the big problems is everybody's so busy looking at the person who's living with dementia that they forget that every one of us, the way we, way we deal with the world is we take in data, we process the data, and then we respond or react to the data. So mm-hmm. if we think about dementia as a brain-changing event, then what it means is all the data coming in is being affected by our change, but let's look at what the environment is. So what are my sensory preferences to start with? What are my sensory skills and my my sensory don't likes right away before we even get into dementia? Because we're all unique. I mean, Mm -hmm. you and I, if we were in the same environments, like I know you're in the Minnesota area, and so I recently was – overnighted involuntarily um, at the airport, and I stayed at a hotel at the MOA, otherwise known as Mall of America. And so I, you know, I'm sort of like, okay, well, it's close to the holidays, I go shopping a little bit. And I got in there, and it was like, ah, overload, overload, I need to leave. And I, I, you know, people love to go there, they spend days, and I'm like, okay, 10 minutes and I'm done. Um, yep. And it's interesting because it's a combination of the auditory and the visual and the overwhelming crowdedness of things. Um, yep. And, you know, and again, I was stressed out because I wanted to be home and I wasn't. So I'm not sure I was at the top of the scale, if you would, to start mm-hmm. with. But I had to know my limit and realize the reason I was getting grumpy is be, and, and getting turned around and then getting really frustrated because I couldn't figure out how to get back to the hotel that I was at um, was because of the environmental cues. There were just too many mm-hmm. of them. It wasn't like there weren't any. I just couldn't mm-hmm. keep track of them at all because there were just, they were all over the place. Um, and if I had a dementing illness on top of that, I probably would have had a meltdown. Yep. And so, you know, do I need meds? No, I need not to be in the MOA uh, at that yep. time of year. Now, could I go another time when it's less crowded and less stressed and I've had rest? Yeah, I mean, you don't need to necessarily lock me out of the mall for the rest of the my life, but let's not put me there when I'm not at my peak. Yep. Yeah, good. That's a that's a great uh, great example. And you know, one of the things that I like about that is you're you know you're talking about yourself. And yeah, you know, one of the things that that I teach is that you know we're so used to making people with dementia seem different, and uh-huh. really they're the same as us. And so one of the equations that I use is is telling people to always remember 
that they process exactly the same way we do. It's their current attitude plus their past experiences equal their perceptions, and their perceptions trigger their reactions. And when we don't like the reactions, we call them a behavior. Now, they may be pulling things differently, but the equation is still the same. You know, exactly. yeah. in terms of that, and when you can think that, oh, well, maybe that's why they don't like that, because they never liked that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, or, just, yeah, or realize, you know, as my brain is changing, my ability to take in visual data and process it is, it's slowed, but it's also narrowed. And so okay. there's no, there's no way I can find the keys laying right there because I can't, I can't, locate and then try to scan around. I can't scan in an organized way because the wiring for that kind of scanning is missing. And it's just for you to say, well, they're right there is not helpful to me because if I could have seen them, I would have picked them up. (laughs) So how about you come over and say, oh, here they are, and just lift them up for me, and then all of a sudden we're on the same page. But, no, it's like – it's almost like people like to, and I use the term, people like to sit in judgment rather than becoming a really good detective to figure out, well, what might be triggering this versus yep. she knows better than that. It's just like, if I knew better, well, I'd do better. Yeah, well, and, and celebrate in, in what you find and then just yeah. move on, you know, yeah. in, instead of scolding. Now, we've got another caller on the line here, so let me just uh, pull this person. We've got somebody from a 215 number. You're live and on the air if you've got a question or a comment. Hi, Lori. This is Mike Wallenbogen. How are you doing, Tipa? I'm good. How are you, Mike? Good, good. Listen, I just wanted to call in and say, you know, I, I'll tell you, I don't get impressed too often, uh, but uh, you, your skill set has impressed me uh, so much that I, I talk about you everywhere I go. My nice. concern is how do we get somebody like you, I guess, to be – I guess more world renowned and people to model what you do so more people can benefit from what you do who you know who are living with this disease and it 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 it's just amazing that I, I deal with so many different people out there and sometimes it amazes me that they don't even know who you are. And you have touched me so much. Uh and I, I would think you would touch so many others if they just knew about you. How do we model what you are doing to many other people and educate them so they can become another type of snow out there. Yeah, well, we may not want many of those, but you, I guess <laughs> you, I, you know, that might be dangerous, Mike. But um, I, I agree that I am not. I personally chose not to stay at university and not to stay in a in a major association because of there's so many political issues that I find that get in the way of the work I want to do. But that. That, of course, creates its own issues, which is I don't have the backing of a large organization that is going to basically push that agenda out there. So it's going to take all of us working together. And I'm really committed to working in community because it's only in community that we will ever be able to figure out how to help people live lives that have value. And I'm talking about both care partners and people living with dementia, but I'm talking about the community as a whole. We have got to quit seeing this as an isolated and an isolated kind of phenomena and start viewing it as something that we need to integrate into our whole national scene as a part of life. It is a part of life. It's like people who have head injuries and people who have autism. It's like 
heavens to Betsy's guys, could we just get out of our boxes a little bit and open the door up so that we can have conversation together? And I, yeah. I, I'm open to suggestion. <laughs> well, and I think what you do so beautifully is you help people learn how to live with the disease, not as it. And there's a huge yeah. difference. And the and mm-hmm. the models and the approach and <clears throat> I mean in your your teachings and stuff I mean you you laugh and you get silly and I mean you show examples yeah. of and, and the audience goes oh my god we really do that you know yeah. I mean because we don't yeah. even know I mean, we're the number, doing yeah it. the number of people goes have you been to my house I mean I think I, you've watched me do this <laughs> it's like mm, no but uh, thirty plus years of making mistakes all you know sort of and you learn from it. So, I mean, I am trying more. Uh, the YouTubes out there are a way, and it's amazing. I mean, I have people from Australia and England and Denmark who are starting to pick up on it, but it's just so slow compared to what we need. I mean, we are behind the eight ball, and it scares me a little bit to think how far behind where we should be because, in my mind, we're putting so much emphasis on fixing this. And even if we fix one type of dementia, we're going to have plenty to worry about. And it's like... And other changes in brain function. I mean, having had a stroke, if someone has had a stroke, learning how to have life with that instead of doing battle every day to fight it. You know, yikes. So, Mike, I mean, you're doing phenomenal work. Um, We just all have to figure out how to unite. And, I mean, there's work going on, but it's nowhere near, I think, where it should and needs to be as a nation or as a a global entity. We just are – we're not on the front page, and we should be because it's an epidemic. I agree with you. I know. Yeah. We got a lot of work yet to do. We're not done, so we better, you know, drink a cup of coffee and and then get the bunny boots on here. <laughs> well, Michael, thank you for calling in. Um you're you're doing fantastic work. For those of yeah. you that don't know, um uh, Michael Allen Bogan, he is just a phenomenal man living with the disease who is he really on a mission mission to to change things for the better and is working at all levels um which i think is is part again of the beauty of this is just all of us collaborating and i you know to me i really think it's going to be more the grassroots than the organizational side that that really um gets us on that tipping point um to get the bigger organizations to to jump faster and higher and to meet the needs of the public, um, but, but that's that's just me. Yeah, I mean, this, I mean, I truly believe this is a civil rights issue, and until we start recognizing it as such, uh, we're going to struggle. But I think once we start getting it out there, as wait a minute, who gets to choose and based on what? I mean, mm-hmm. come on, we've got to have better ways of doing this. Um, and it's not an all-or-none phenomena, and it's time that we quit letting people who don't live the life make all the choices about how the life will be lived. Well, and don't you think, for me anyways, on my 30-year journey with my mom, mm-hmm. um, I have found the lessons I have learned through this have helped me out in every aspect of my life. I mean, they've really been Absolutely. life-changing. Because they apply, because it's as much as it's about dementia, it's really about how we yeah. care, and we are very yeah. messed up on that level. Yes, we are. We are incredibly messed up. I mean, it's scary to think, you know, you know, we have kids who have never given care to anyone 
they just do stuff, but they don't know caregiving because they've never been exposed to it in the same way. People are not used to having people living with them and being with them and being part of their life if it's not the way you want it. And so, I mean, it's we've got huge opportunities if we choose to take them, but it's it's going to take us stepping forward and saying, you know what? I, the number of people who come to my workshop and say, you know, this works with teenagers. I used it with my son, and it was amazing. It's like, mm, really? <laughs> yeah, when you're respectful and you say, tell me more about it rather than what were you thinking? You'll be amazed how many more times you'll get to a different place, you know. Yeah. Well, again, Michael, thank you so much for calling in today. Really, um, really appreciate all you do, and I'll see you on Dementia Chats this afternoon. Well, thank you, and I uh, would like to wish you and uh, your families a wonderful holiday season and your uh, listeners. Bye now. Okay, bye-bye. He's just an incredible guy doing just such marvelous work. So um, can you share with our audience, I can't believe we're down to like 12 minutes already um, for your for your hour here. Um, Sorry. But no, no, this has been a great conversation. What's the most common, you know, misconception about caring for someone with dementia? Yeah, I think it's that people think they either, one of two things, that they're going to do it they're going to do it they're going to do it all they're going to be they're going to be able to handle this that it's a sprint that if i just put all the energy into it i can get my hands around it my head around it and then we'll be good and it's like <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah yeah. It was kind of and, like you know, that win-lose mentality when you were describing yeah, that it was like a exactly. game <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm going to put all my resources in up here and I'm going to, you know, but they don't build out and they don't get curious uh, and say like, okay, so this is going to be a long process. So let me see how I need to pace myself a little bit. Let me see who and what I should bring on board now when I don't need it so I know about it in the future. And hmm, I'm not getting support from the t- traditional family that I thought I would get. So let me look elsewhere and see where I can get some support for myself. Because if you're not comfortable or if the family's not there or if the resources you thought you were going to have aren't the resources that are working for you, then the biggest problem we have is people keep going back to the same well, even though they figured out it was tainted and it's not working for them, then it's, or it's dry, and it's like, well, let's start looking at other water sources because you're going to need refreshment. You're going to need encouragement yourself. You're going to need ways to get your energy level back up in moments and to be curious and to, and to get support. You're going to need it, so don't wait until you're desperate for it, because then nothing looks good um, and well, everything and is overwhelming. And it's okay to need that support. I think that's one of our other problems here oh in my the heavens, U.S. Yeah. Is, uh, you know, I'm independent. I can handle this. This is yep. my role, yep. my responsibility. Yep. What would others yep. think? I mean, yep. we, we go through all of that. It's like, you know, we we have always, I mean, you know, when we broke off to be a nation, work together to build yeah. this country, and now we've gotten so independent that we're actually harming ourselves um, by not being yeah. collaborative, and we're we're slowing we're slowing the process down. Thinking everything's got to be proprietary and it's got to be my way oh. or the highway type thing. Instead and of there's a wrong sharing. and there's a right, and there's just one wrong and one right, and it's like. There's lots of opportunities for plugging things together, but if something's not working, what I, you know, it may not be wrong, it maybe just isn't working in that moment. Let's stop doing that and let's try something else. But if you haven't 
expanded your resources, you don't even know there is something else. You think that's it, and when that doesn't work, then, and there's no then. I mean, then it's like, well, now I don't know what to do now. And it's like, yeah, that's pretty clear, I mean, that we don't mm-hmm. know what to do. And so let's let's take an opportunity when we're not in crisis to look at what some possibilities might be. Um, yeah. And spread well, it around and- a little you know, we have all these TV shows about detectives, you know, if it's uh-huh. Castle or CSI, yep. and everybody's kind of into that. But if we would actually apply some of that in yep. our own lives and just go and realize for every reaction there's a trigger. Yes. You know, it, just, it just doesn't happen. There's yeah. a reason. There's a reason your mood changes when somebody yep. walks into the room that you just despise or that you totally love. Or, a, yep. you know, a song comes on or you're really cold or really tired or there's triggers. Um, Absolutely. That doesn't go yeah. away because you have dementia. No. But and if I say, let me just give you this one, Lori. This is a classic. Lori LaBay. Well, the last <laughs> thing you're going to do is spend time with me. On the other hand, if I just go, Lori, oh, my heavens, hey, you are going to come yep. right toward me. And who made that choice? Well, I did. So I've got to check myself out before I come into your space and and be prepared for what might surprise me, but at the same time make a decision to respond to you, not react to you. Um because yeah. that's my that's my that's my job and it is in some ways a job. I can't just do what came automatically, my old habit structure of when I see something I don't like, I make comment on it. Not anymore. Um, mm-hmm. I've got to put that away, and I've got to deal with that. And don't, I, I, the other thing I would say about caregivers is, you need to deal with those those oh no moments. But you do them not with me, not in front of me. Deal with it elsewise, you know. Because mm-hmm. if you're doing it in front of me, you're saying you disappointed me, and it's like I don't even know what I did to disappoint you. Um, but you're yeah. clearly showing me I did something, and I don't even know what it was. So you that's such a hard thing for caregivers and care partners to recognize is I can't let my emotion get in between us and drive everything and not even know it's happening because we're so aware of the other person we don't even look in the mirror and so we need to look in the mirror a little bit more. Well, when you when you bring up that whole um piece about emotion, one of the things uh-huh. that I had found and I created this tool and I think I'm sure I've told you and I'm sure my audience has heard but there might be some new people out there that it might help was I created a tool called Your Memory Chip and one of the questions on it it's just three pieces but I would ask caregivers what do you have to focus on and they would always rattle off a list of things that they had to do for the other person mm-hmm. I got to bring up the doctor I got to do the meds I got to yeah. blah 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 and what I realized was that everybody thought that was person-centered because the list was all about somebody else. So how could that not be person-centered? But when I listened, we were all exactly the same because we all had this, like, twang in our voice saying, I don't want to do this. Yeah. And and so I thought, well, we can't be person-centered when emotionally it's all about us. And so I teach people to... Um, to approach a task differently, because we have to do those tasks. There's no getting around mm-hmm. it. Somebody's got to do that mm-hmm. stuff. But instead of approaching the task just so you can check it off on your list and you can feel better because you accomplished something and you feel more in control, focus on are they safe, are they happy, are they pain-free, because you will approach the task differently. 
Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and you're not going to feel so rushed. Um, yeah. And to me, that truly is is person centered. Um, we've got another caller on the line here. I think. Well, it, it actually, oh, it's my next guest. So we're we're going to pull Christina. We we still have a few and minutes if I here. Lori, if I could go off of what you just said, one of the things I sure. almost always start a session with is I have a care person look at their hand and I'll say, well, what do you see? And I'll they'll say, well, you know, and I'll say, well, you see a loving, caring hand that you're going to give care. And then what I'll say is, okay, now take that loving, caring hand and shove it right in the person's face. Because mm-hmm. what we do is we take our help and all too often and we shove it at people, whether they're aware they need that help or not or whether or not they want that help. Or, and then I had a, a young man in Florida that I was doing work with a community, and, and he's a, a nurse, and he said, ooh, 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 I've got a way for you to look at it. And so he gave me this phrase, and he said, use it. And it's, here's the deal. You need to know your agenda, but you don't show your agenda. Mm-hmm. So well, that's if we're just one. focused on the task and we want to get something done, that's going to always show. And so what we need to do is take that agenda, put it up in your brain, and go, okay, that's what I want to get done, but let me take a look at the person in front of me and let me offer my hand in friendship first before I try to get anything done. So we connect before we start trying to get something done. It's that same idea that you're saying, and it's just it's so important for caregivers to, to get out of that mode of get her done and turn into, yep. again, the person that it's about that relationship first. Well, and not to lose so many of us, and I and I mean I was there, uh, you, uh-huh. you, lose, you lose yourself in the care and you lose your yep. relationship. Yep. And, and we cannot let this disease take that. No. You know, it doesn't and, help. And, it doesn't help anybody. No. No, not not at all. Any, I'm going to throw this one out to you because I always get I, everyone always asks this question: How do I how do I fix my siblings? How do I get them to be better? <laughs> how do I get them to help? <laughs> well, number one, what I'd say again is what we tend to want to do is. Um, we we shove things at people because that's what we want. And until we figure out what their agenda is and where they're coming from and why they're feeling the way they're feeling, we're not going to get anywhere. I've got to figure out their point of view and why they're doing what they're doing because until I get that, I can't sort of help them get to a different place because I haven't really figured out where they are. All I know is they aren't where I want them to be. And so my two things is sort of like, well, maybe you need to quit needing from them what you need and look elsewhere for it. And then look at them as a resource in a different way. Um, maybe you can use them as a brother and sister and not a caregiver resource because maybe that's not what their skill set is. And we want from people what we want, and that may not be what they can deliver. And if we need help, we need to get it from where we where we can get it. And if you're putting so much energy into fussing about, oh, my God, he hasn't even come. I mean, I can't believe he hasn't been there. And instead go, I wonder what's driving him to stay away. There's got to be something there. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel I feel badly about that. But it's hard because we're all so needy in that moment. And been there, done that. But I would also say it only got better for me when I sort of stopped wanting what I couldn't have and started looking around at what I did have and how I could make use of it because it wasn't mm-hmm. going to change that way. It just wasn't. Uh- <laughs> Well, and they all have their own lessons to learn. I mean, I used yes. to stew and try to, you know, I'm, I'm going to get them here. I'm going to teach them how. They're going to enjoy this, damn it, if they want to or not, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, 
And uh-huh. I mean, I was just, I was you fierce, got it. you know, about it. Yeah. And then I realized, A, I'm not going to be able to change them. And B, right. they have their own lessons to learn. And yep. then it allowed me more energy and time with my mom. Exactly. You know, I mean, it became, because, yeah, you had to let go of what wasn't working in order yeah. to be willing to move to a new place. Of, and and of now connection. I feel their pain, you know, because yeah. I think for them, it's my my two brothers, I think it's very painful. And they're, you know, you can't move through your pain if you're not willing to work on your pain. And, exactly. Uh, yeah. You know, and, and the number of people choice. that come to a workshop, it's really interesting, Lori, that I'll have people come and their person has passed years ago. And it turns out they came to be with somebody else. They weren't there for their own family member. But now they'll say to me, and it's not uncommon at all, they say, oh, my heavens, I finally get it. But it Mm -hmm. took them, it was like five years after their person was gone that they finally could get to a place of looking at what happened uh, and deal with it. But it's just where they are. And we could wish them in a different place, but it's not going to change where they are that way. Exactly. Well, good, good advice, Tifa. I do want you to mention about your upcoming training programs that you have going on in Atlanta. If you wouldn't mind talking about that, sure. Yeah. If folks are interested, they can go to the website tifasnow.com, and we're doing a day that sort of gets everybody started. So if you've been to my workshops before, that one, day one on January the twenty-first, you might be able to skip that one if you've come to other programs because it's really going through the basics of understanding what's happening when someone is getting and having and living with different dementias. But day two and three is where we're really going to dig in and and really build skills. And the whole idea is that you will be coached and supported in gaining knowledge and skill and competence at helping people, whether you're a family member or whether you're working in a community or in a facility or in an agency that you would like to become more dementia-skilled. And that means going beyond what you know to what you do. And we'll have folks there to help you and coach you and encourage you. So that when you walk away, you'll rehearse skills from very beginning symptoms to very end of life. And that's what we want to cover is from beginning to end, how can you help? And how can you help yourself and those around you as well? And that, that'll be a, a absolutely fantastic program um, for people to be able to go to. And that's starting January 21st, I believe. Yes, 21st and then 22nd, 23rd. And it has CEUs for all kinds of disciplines if anybody's a professional and needs CEU credit. Um, and it's being, you know, it's being sponsored and co-sponsored. So it's it's really exciting to be able to do that, that in-depth training. Because usually I end up doing a lot of awareness training and a lot of knowledge training. But this is actually letting us get into the skill stuff, which is really mm-hmm. fun. Wonderful. Well, Tipa, I can't thank you enough for taking the time. Um, thank God, you know, you weren't stuck in the, the Mall of America, but I really I appreciate it. Being, I got back being, home. Yay! That was, being, that was two uh, weeks you know, ago. <laughs> Coming in that, from North that Dakota. Would, <laughs> that would not be my favorite place to be either. I, I don't like big crowds, and um, yeah. I, I'm not a big shopper to begin with. So Mm-mm, Me either. Yep, yep. So well, I Lori, think thank you so much. You do an amazing job, and it's so wonderful to have this as a resource, and we just need it to be well, more well-known to everyone. Well, great. Well, we'll just continue on working together here and, um, you know, promoting each other's work, and um, you're doing, like I said, fabulous, fabulous work. You, you. you You gave me advice that changed, actually, how – 
the nursing home and assisted living did some things um, at at my mom's place. So I can't can't thank you enough for for all you have done and are doing. So have a wonderful holiday. You too. You too, and everyone. And again, uh, people can connect with Tipa by going to her website at www.tipa, and that's T E E P A Snow, S N O W dot com, or you can call eight seven seven eight seven seven sixteen seventy one. And Tipa is on Facebook and Twitter and uh, LinkedIn. You're all over the place, so connect up with her. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks, Lori, and have a beautiful, beautiful holiday. Will do. Thank you so much. Bye now. Bye-bye. Um, well, how fun was that to have to have Tipa with us? Um, before I introduce our next guest, I do want to just kind of go over some um, mid-program highlights. Our last radio show was about protecting your assets and also how to stay in your home, aging in place. So if you're looking on information for either of those, um, you know, just go to the archives for December 17th. Our next show on the 31st, I'm going to have an open session, so feel free to to join in. I want to hear what you're up to, what are the needs, what should we focus on, a little bit of everything for our next show. And then we um, had our last dementia chats on the 10th, and that was a little bit of a mix. That's where I interview those with dementia. And we talked about the holidays. We talked about the National Alzheimer's Plan. We talked about being newly diagnosed and how do you tell families um, hosting the holidays. And we'll have a session this afternoon, which will start at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Central, and 1 p.m. Pacific Time. Also on the Alzheimer's Speaks blog, a few uh, blog posts I just want to mention, one on the 22nd called Cherish the Little Moments, which was by our intern, Michelle, which always gets a lot of comments. Um, on the 21st, um, Deb, uh, Deborah Schaus did an article uh, where she interviewed me on the five steps to becoming an advocate for those with Alzheimer's. I thought she did a really nice job. We've gotten some great comments on that. Um, we also had another article by Michelle on the, let's see, um, I take that back. This printed out twice. Um, there's also an article on the 20th called Blessed Holidays When Alzheimer's is in the Picture. And that's a list by um, Trish with uh, Us Against Alzheimer's. And she really has um, some some great tips for getting through the holidays. There was also an article on lifestyle zones at the Mall of America, which talked about some um, things that Verizon has that can you know help us either people with dementia and or um, those caring for them in terms of our lifestyles and coping a little bit easier. And then on the 18th, there was an article about uh, coping across the generations, helping younger generations understand Alzheimer's, which of course is a, a huge issue that we all all need to work with. Again, I want to mention Alzheimer's Disease International. If you're looking for an Alzheimer's Association anywhere in the world, you can go to them and uh, be able to get that information. The frontal temporal uh, 
Association, the National Aphasia Association, as well as the Lewy Body um, Association, too, are all wonderful, wonderful resources for you as well. And the Purple Angel Project, I would be amiss without uh, talking about them. Uh, that is the new um, symbol for dementia. And it is just an absolutely um, wonderful, wonderful um, project that is happening worldwide that was kicked off by Norm McNamara. If you'd like more information on that, uh, please let me know. I'd be more than glad to to get you information. I'm going to go ahead and introduce our guest um, Our second guest here is Christine Luca, and she has been working in the healthcare field for over 20 years, specializing in Alzheimer's disease and dementia. During her uh, during her career, uh, Christina has worked as a activity director. Um, and she's also been a behavior modification specialist, and she has mentored and done staff development and coordination. She was a corporate consultant, um, an in-home Alzheimer's and dementia coach, as well as certified Alzheimer's and dementia trainer by the National Council on Certified Dementia Practitioners. She's um, been a facilitator with the Alzheimer's Association, and she's also written a book. And I love the title of this book, Christina's book, What Else Can You Do But Laugh? Um, Her company is dedicated to those who must be loved, to those who must be respected and protected, to those who seem lost, and to those who can no longer find their words, and to those who have taught us how to love unconditionally. How are you doing, Christina? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. Well, welcome to the show today. Um, I appreciate you taking the time over the holidays. I know it can be a little a little tight sometimes here, uh, getting getting ready for everything. So I'm just thrilled that you were able to able to make it with us. Maybe if we can start um, with a little background on um, how and why you picked this profession um, to get into. Actually, I think this profession picked me. Because I started, back in the good old days when you could start working at 14, I had to do a confirmation um, community thing for my church. So they threw me into a nursing home because it was right down the street. And the first day I went in, I looked around and thought, oh, my God, get me out of here. The second day I went back in, I just fell in love with this little old lady who had no teeth. And I've been there ever since. And I would try to get out of it now and again, and the powers that be would just throw me back into it. So I think this is where I was meant to be. Now, have you been personally touched with family members at all with dementia? Yes. My my grandfather had dementia. Um, I have several relatives that have had dementia. Okay. Both Alzheimer's. I'm sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. Both Alzheimer's and, you know, back then it was senility. Mm-hmm. Okay. And because you have several family members, is that something that you worry about at all? That's a question people always ask me. Do you worry about that? Um, I personally don't. I have mm-hmm. a couple of family members that do, and I the way I look at it is it's right now you can't do anything about it if you have it. 
Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. why worry about it until it happens? Yep, that's kind of how I look at it too. It's uh, you know, and I've talked to so many doctors too that say, well, you know, you can do the test, but if it was me, I wouldn't. You know, it's kind of like cancer; we all have the gene, but is it going to mutate? You know, you know, and then you're going to worry about it, and you're going to take away from from life as it is today. Exactly. Um, so, and not that you can't do things to, you know, be more healthy and but there's no guarantees that, you know, if you don't drink, you don't smoke and eat right and exercise that you're you're not going to get the disease either. So, um yeah, so, uh, <laughs> you just go up, you open your eyes, it's a good day and you just move on. There's not a whole yeah. lot you can do about it right now. Yeah. Now, you've been in in the healthcare field for over 30 years kind of specializing in this. Can you um Tell our audience, what types of changes have you seen in that time? They must be just, I can't even imagine how dramatically. Oh, there there uh, are tons of changes. When I first started, nursing homes were basically warehouses for people who are aging and who are waiting to pass. And they, you know, they didn't smell good, they didn't look good, and then it became a business. And then suddenly people realize that we need to step things up a little bit. These are actually human beings, and we need to love them and cherish them and care for them. When I first started, the basic thing to do when somebody had senility back then or uh, dementia is you gave them Haldol and you posied them so that they wouldn't get hurt. And now, you know, medication and tying somebody into a wheelchair or into a chair is against the law. So yeah. there, there's tons of changes. Thank goodness. Well, and, and isn't posy just a nice word for tying somebody in? <laughs> yeah, it's you know. a pretty word for tying somebody down. Yep, yeah. and God love those folks with dementia because they could get out of the posies anyway. <laughs> so they, they were always untying themselves and escaping. So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, they, you know, and I mean, who would want to be tied tied down? I mean, when you think of how barbaric yeah. that that really, really is, um, and so how that, uncomfortable. That was, the, that was the knowledge that we had back then, and you know, thank goodness people are, you know, constantly researching and constantly improving things because now it's, you know, like I said, it's against the law; you can't do it. Yep. Well, and the fear is so great with this population, you know, and the anxiety. And then, you know, to to tie somebody in, I, I just, I can't even imagine what that would do, I, I, how terrified they must yeah. be, you know, in and that then we, situation. Then we had, somebody came up with the bright idea with, you know, reality orientation. And basically that was answering somebody's question with dementia, you know, where is my husband? Oh, dear, your husband died. So now you're, you know, you're having them grieve all over again, over and mm-hmm. over and over again, and instead of just realizing that, okay, that's probably not the right thing to say. Let's figure out where they are in the moment and let's love them and let's get past the question. Yeah, because it's not about being right or wrong, and so many no. times people are still trying to be right, you know, yeah. and get them to get it. I mean, my mom, I never told her I got divorced. My brother didn't tell, you know, uh, her he, he got divorced because she would grieve. I mean, she loved my husband. That would have been just horrible, and there's no way she, uh, you know, would ever understand that but she would hold on to that grief and that sadness and mm-hmm. you know that's not what I want for her 
you know. No, so, you, know, you, you can't do that to your mom. I mean, it would just make her sad. Why would you want to hurt yeah. her? Yeah, yeah, and people don't always look at it like that. And, yeah. um, you know, we've we've learned a lot of simple lessons. I mean, even about brushing teeth, you know, my we chose to let my mom's teeth go bad because of the fear of the toothbrush. And yep. she would, I mean, just be horrified and upset for a good half a day just by someone trying to poke this stick in her mouth, no matter how gentle they were. And, you know, we went to the swabs and we did all the different things. But, you know, it was, you know, it it became about quality of life. And you know, when, when, when somebody can't process something, what's happening, you're, you're you know, introducing fear to them. And you don't mm-hmm. you know, why would you want to do that? It's, yep. it's not worth it. Exactly. Um, any other changes that you want to mention that you've you've seen over the past um, 35 years? We talked about, you know, we can't tie people in their chairs, and you know, the medications I think have changed um, as well as some of the terminology that we use. We don't refer to people going senile anymore. And <laughs> I think people's attitudes have changed. People are realizing, and I think that's most important that these are still human beings these are still our loved ones these are still people who have you know who have a heart and have a soul and have a brain and they understand they may not understand the words but they understand you they understand your expressions they understand love and kindness and they they understand fear and they understand everything that we do just in just in a different way mm-hmm. well and they i think that's you know one of the biggest misconceptions you know my brother came for his annual visit with my mom and said, oh, you know, it's just so hard. She doesn't even know who I am. And I'm like, well, you know, it it isn't about you. It's about her right. comfort. But he's but he's not in that space, and I don't know if he'll ever get there um, because he's still dealing with his grief and his sadness, um, but not, not necessarily processing it. He just kind of sits there with it. And, and you know, and then I look at, you know, myself and my daughter and we go up and we're just so full of joy and trying to get her to smile or, you know, rub her face or, you know, just all those small little things. And I just go, oh, I wish so bad that my brothers, both of them, could experience what Danielle and I have when we're with my mom because it's not, we don't focus on the loss, you know, right. and it's Absolutely. so precious. And um, I, I don't think people know the gift of what is still there. You know? I'm working with a family right now who basically they're having, it's a young family. I'm working with um, 13, 14, 15-year-old kids, and their grandma has dementia, and they're very, very close. And she's, you know, she's forgotten their names. She's forgotten who they are. But when she sees them, she just lights up. So I'm trying to help them to make the connection. It doesn't matter what your name is. It matters on who you are, you know, what your being is. Your grandma recognizes you for something. She recognizes something in you that makes her smile. Mm-hmm. And how, how important that is to keep going and seeing her and keep touching her and keep talking to her and keep telling her about your day because it's mm-hmm. important for both of you. It it really is. Um, in your book, you've got one chapter called, Was She Talking to Me? And um, the preface here, it says, a mom is visiting you at your home, um, at your house. 
You notice that she keeps turning her head to answer your question. However, you didn't a- you didn't ask any question. When you picked her up that morning, only one person got into the car. Mom's too old to have an imaginary friend. You think, what the heck is going on? <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about that story? Because I think... I think we've all had had that uh, situation where you know who are they talking to? Mm-hmm. Basi- basically, this is um, one of the chapters is about hallucinations and how common they are in a, with a lot of folks. And whether it's auditory hallucinations, um, visual hallucinations, and sometimes they will hear something. Sometimes they'll misinterpret what they're hearing. If there's a sound in the street, you know, if someone's walking, my house, for instance, sits right on the street. We don't have a sidewalk. So somebody walking by having a conversation with their friend can sometimes sound like someone's talking to me because mm-hmm. it's that close. It's like, So, you know, who who is talking? What are they hearing? What are they seeing? And acknowledge it. If, if you're, you're talking, let's say your mom is She's in the nursing home, and you're talking to her. You walk away for whatever reason, and she's still talking. Is she processing mm-hmm. still what you know what you had been talking about? Is she responding to that? Is is there a little bit of a hallucination going on? Maybe UTI is cooking somewhere. Um, just any number of things, and pay attention to them. Just don't assume that you know. She she doesn't know what she's talking about. She's just hearing things. Mm-hmm. Basically, that that whole that whole chapter is about hallucinations, about knowing what to look for. Why is she turning her head to answer a question that you didn't ask? Could mm-hmm. just be processing. Could just be she's hearing something. Maybe a TV in the other room is still on or something. Yeah, with with my mom, you know, she talks a lot, and she's always looking up. And I, I kind of think she's talking with the other side. And some people might think that I'm crazy, and, you know, that that's your opinion. That's kind of where I choose to think she is, because she's always happy uh, and content. It's like she's talking to a friend, and as long as she's comfortable, you know, I don't have a problem with it. Um, and I, I know some other people might, but um, for me, you know, my mom's always been very intuitive and stuff. And I just, I just think that you know, she's she's comfortable and she's talking with somebody. She's having a conversation. She's even danced um, where she's actually done a shimmy, and I've never seen my mom do a shimmy. And in her <laughs> end stages, did a perfect shimmy in her wheelchair. Now this is a woman who can't itch her nose, can't give you a hug. <laughs> And you just kind of go, where did that come from and how did it happen? And then you push those questions aside and go, oh, thank you for just letting me see that. That was just so right. beautiful. You know? And how wonderful is that is that, that your mom isn't alone. Yeah. That whatever, whoever she's talking to, and I absolutely believe what you're saying about the other side, how wonderful is that that she's not alone and that she's not afraid? She's happy. Yep. And that that's an amazing thing. Yep. Yeah, that's very, very um, important, um, you know, because that's one of my main things. Is she safe? Is she happy? Is she pain-free? And that's that's what it's all about. You know, she's. we just put her on hospice here um, over the weekend. And, um, you know, I don't know what will happen. I just thought I think she's going to qualify. She's down, you know, over 20 pounds in this last year. And, 
and she's all on pureed foods and can't do anything for her. And, you know, it's just been nice. Um, you know, she's got a music therapist and a clergy person and a you know, social worker. She's going to have another aide. Um, she's just going to have so many um, additional little one-on-ones that are going to just be so nice for her. Um, to yep. be able to have, and um, you know, sometimes people are so scared of the word hospice, um, but it, it truly is a, a gift. And you know, you don't want them to be alone, and you want them to be with people who understand. And um, you know, pretty pretty cool thing uh, that that we here, anyways, in the U.S. can take advantage of. And I would encourage people not to be so scared. You know, oh, about no, not, that. At, not at all. When I, I was in college, I was I was one of the first hospice coordinators in the Appalachian Mountains. I went to college in West Virginia. And it was just amazing because the people, you know, the, the Appalachian Mountains that you would see on TV, that's reality. I would go up into the hills and I would sit with these people. And just having somebody there, just me there for an hour or a couple of hours or whatever, they were just so happy. And it didn't matter what level of dementia they were in, end-stage dementia, they were still happy that there was somebody there sitting with them, talking to them, just shooting the breeze. Didn't mm-hmm. matter if they actually understood the words. Just the, the person being there was just, it was amazing to watch them just interact with me and, you know, some of the other people that, you know, that worked along with me. Just to go into the hills and meet meet these people, it was amazing to just watch the transformation from just being quiet and still, to smiling, to being animated, to pointing to things that, you know, that we couldn't see, but absolute pleasure that was there. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. I think hospice is amazing, absolutely amazing. And it, yeah. it, it is nothing to be afraid of. Yeah, and they really are kind of our angels on earth, I think. Um, they're just so, you know, I went through that with my dad um, who had brain cancer, had him on hospice, and they... They're just so compassionate and so loving and um, just all about truly being person-centered and and meeting their needs. And we forget that sometimes. We're so busy caring, we sometimes forget (laughs) about the person's needs, which sounds kind of asinine, Um, but I think it happens a lot. Uh, you know, we get. I think it happens for a lot of reasons because when when you're meeting somebody's need. I think it's twofold. I think, yes, you're trying to do something for them, but it gives you a purpose. Mm-hmm. And with dementia, mm-hmm. sometimes you don't know what else to do. You can't fix mm-hmm. it. You can't cure them. You want to just pick them up and hold them and love them to death, but you can't because you have this awful disease that's going on, so you do the next best thing. You become the fixer. I'm going to mm-hmm. do this and this and this and this and this because I can't do anything else. Yep. Yeah, very true. Now, you have another um, chapter in the book, and it says, oops, I did it again. When a person (laughs) continually repeats the same question, it can make you want to pull your hair out in frustration. Yet this person is really not trying to drive you crazy. Um, And and it's funny because we do. We all think it's about us, you know. They're just doing this. Why are they doing this to me? (laughs) Yep. 
he truly doesn't <laughs> remember asking the question before. And you you have some thoughts on this uh, chapter, needless to say, if you wouldn't mind, because, I, again, I think this is so common um, for people to, to struggle with um, because it is because we want to fix it. We want to make it right. We want to make it stop. Um, what would you say to, to people struggling um, with that? I tell people, answer the question every single time. doesn't matter if they ask the same question 30 times and they're on the, you know, the, the 30-second swing. They're asking every 30 seconds, you know, where's this, where's that, where's this? And answer the question. Answer the question like it was the first time because they're going to react to you. If somebody, let's say somebody asked me for the, you know, 90 millionth time today, you know, with my husband, if I turn around and I say, listen, I just told you, blah, 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 that person doesn't understand that this is not the first time that they've asked it. Now they're going to respond to my anger and my frustration. Mm -hmm. I think people have to pay attention to their body language. They have to pay attention to their voice. They have to pay attention to everything and answer the question like it's the first time. Mm -hmm. Because at some point, you're going to start answering the question without even realizing that you're answering the question. Mm-hmm. And oh, go ahead, go ahead. And bas- basically, for me, and basically what I teach is, you have to be patient. These, you know, somebody with dementia, they don't know that they're asking, and you, you have to put your kindness and your patience before anything else. And love them, care about them, and don't get angry with them. I know it's frustrating. I tell people that's why God invented closed doors because you go in. You get frustrated, you close the door, you vent, you say what you need to say, you do what you need to do, and you come back out, and you need to be there for that person. You need to be mm-hmm. there for your person. Yep, definitely. Now, you you have some some tips in the book about, um, you know, showering and bathing, and one of them, um, i just like you to, to explain to people because I think it's really important. But when you're showering a loved one, start from the feet and then go up. And we all start at the top. We douse them. You know, start yeah, washing it's a whole hygiene thing. You know, you start at the top and you work your way down. Now, if you're not sure what's going put yourself in this situation. First of all, you're asking someone to do something that goes against everything we've ever learned. The first thing we've ever learned as children is you don't take your clothes off. From day one, babies are wearing clothes. You wear clothes Mm -hmm. throughout your life. You don't take your clothes off in the backyard when you're playing with your friends, and, you know, you stay dressed. So you're asking somebody who has learned their whole life to take their clothes off in front of you, and they're not sure who you are, so now you're a stranger, so that goes against everything that's in them. And now we're going to douse you with water. We're going to, you know, put the shower on, the water's going to come over your head. That's scary. If you start at the feet where they can see the water, they can see the water touching their body, it's not so scary. And unless mm-hmm. the building's on fire, take your time. And I know that's hard in a, um, a medical setting because... PCAs and CNAs, they have, you know, they have their assignments and they have to get so many people done within a certain time frame. I understand that. But taking your time, starting from the feet, going up, talking to them, explaining what you're doing, it's just going to be so much easier on everybody, on the person who's being showered, the person who's doing, the, you know, the care. 
And it's going to make it be a much more pleasurable experience for everybody. Don't start from the head because that's scary. That's like dumping a yep. bucket of water on your head. It's just <laughs> start yeah. slow. Start slow yeah. and be kind. Well, and to have those conversations and make sure the room is, is warm and comfortable. Oh, you know, yeah. or have the it, floor. Have everything you need. Yeah, and a lot of times we don't think about that stuff. It's just like because we just jump in the shower and we just we just take a shower. We don't yep. we don't because we don't have to think, but we really do have to think about is the floor going to be cold to their feet? You know, put a towel mm-hmm. down or a rug if you don't have one. If you can turn the temperature up in that room, that's great. Um, sometimes having music just to calm them down can't hurt. Um, some are doing even aromatherapy, but again, making it more of that spa comfortable versus oh my gosh, I just got doused um, right. with Absolutely. cold water and the, and the time of day. Mm-hmm. I mean, if somebody may not want to take a shower at one o'clock in the afternoon, that's not something that they've done their whole lives. If you know, you get some, most showers are done in the morning, and at least in healthcare um, settings. Is the person awake in the morning? Are they slow risers? Is you know somebody gonna go? Okay, time to get up. Let's go. Time to take a shower. And mm-hmm. they're you know now suddenly the world has been turned on you know high speed and they're just opening their eyes. Yeah. So if you take someone well, right out of bed and into the shower, they're not even awake yet. They don't have the processing time. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things that actually Tipa taught me was um, with my mom used to just love the water, loved taking a shower or bath, you know, didn't have any problems. And then all of a sudden there was this huge battle. And we got talking and she said, you know, change the shower head to a, to a rain shower head that's handheld. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. All the difference in the world. Because so now much you easier. Control, you can control it. It's softer. But what she taught me was that we all have um, fat pads and as we age those fat pads go away and the nerves are closer to the skin and I said well and and I remember this was one of the very first times I met her and I said you know well my mom's a heavy woman and she says that fat has nothing to do with the protective fat pads that I'm talking about absolutely right yeah and and what a difference, you know. So we ended up, we changed out all the shower heads in the whole nursing home um, to the rain, you know, the rain handheld um, shower heads. And, you know, when they're doing their um, new bathrooms, you know, we did uh, nicer colors and we added aromatherapy and we pumped in music. And, I mean, it's very, very different than it used to be the old you know, canary yellow and bright kind of parrot blue bathrooms. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, it's just a very different sense. And, uh, you know, we weren't able to get the heated floors, um, but they did end up adding um, heated towel bars, you know, just so when the towels, you know, are placed on them that, that it's, you know, more comfortable and stuff. And, yeah, it's amazing how stressful that can be. And then it gets to a point where people just, you know, might get more of a bed bath too. Um, yeah. You know, uh, you know, my mom is, is more at that stage. I mean, she'll get a shower every now and then, but um, it's just, um, you know, it's just easier um, and makes more sense. And, and, again, she's still clean. And, and thinking, too, of, you know, how often did they used to shower? You know, what was right. their history yeah. growing up? 
Um, you know, for some people, um, I mean, I've heard of some where they took a shower once a month, some twice you know, twice a month. And now, you know, you've got a person like me who likes to shower every day. You know, you're going to have a lot of fun when I go into an assisted living. You know, they're they're going to be medicating me. I can see it now. I I just know. I keep telling my kids, you're going to get the phone calls because I'm I'm going to be one of those people with the bad dementia. I'm just going to be climbing out windows. (laughs) Doing the escape. Yeah, my mom actually wrote, wrote on her window, um, with lipstick, and she uh, she was tr- she was trying to get help for the people that were outside. She wanted to she wanted out, and she was trying to communicate with them. And I remember walking in the room, <laughs> and you know she tried to spell help but couldn't spell it well. Um, but terrified, just terrified, and she was knocking on the glass trying to get a hold of, you know, their attention. These people in the park across the street, and and I was just oh, I just felt horrible for her because she oh. just really felt in prison. Was that scary? And, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, Harry just made a comment here, and he said the first step in caring for someone with dementia is get your emotions under control. It's not about how you feel, but rather about the person you're caring for, which is so true, Harry, so true. And um, But, you know, we are a country of me's, and we all think it's about us, and that's a big shift. That's a really big shift, but I think it is really, truly one of the beautiful lessons that dementia can teach us and um, allows us to be more compassionate, you know, all the way around. Um, Christina, can you tell us a little bit about your company and what all you do? Sure. Um, Basically, I am an educator. I, I shouldn't say I say, we should say we. We teach kind of a different way, and actually, um, I was with, I called in a little bit early because I was listening to the conversation you had with Tipa about the skills training. And basically, we do a lot of role models, a lot of role playing. I don't necessarily like PowerPoint because after ten minutes, I fall asleep during PowerPoint, or I'm thinking about what to buy at the grocery store. So we do hands-on. We do get up, let's move. A lot of different scenarios. One of the ones that I really enjoy doing is, you know how somebody with dementia will pick something up that is not theirs. Mm-hmm. And basically, so now you have the power struggle. Here, I'll give you, because this is what you're taught, I'll give you this pen if you give me this pair of scissors. Well, mm-hmm. someone with dementia is like, hmm, no, that's not going to work for me. You know, and the, you know, all the textbooks say, well, if you do this, this is supposed to happen. I purposely set up scenarios where things don't happen the way they're supposed to. I end up being the person with dementia, and I give people the hottest time. And so I make I make them think, okay, this is not going to work. You heard this somewhere. You you know you went to a workshop, so now you know. Now you have to take what you learned and you have to put it into action. So I have the pair of scissors because. Somebody left their scissors out, you know, their bandage scissors, and me being a dementia person with dementia has picked them up because it was there. They were shiny. They were pretty. Now they're mine. So now, okay, what are you going to do? How are you going to get the scissors away from this person? You've tried bartering with them. That didn't work. So now what are you going to do? So I make people think. I make people think about, okay, don't get into a power struggle. Think of the environment. Use the environment to your advantage. 
Look around. Figure out where this person is in her world right now. Is the room hot or is the room cold? Is it 1 o'clock in the afternoon? Did she have lunch at noontime and has she been toileted? There's all different ways you can redirect somebody. You just have to fig- you just have to find that one way of doing it and you have to make all of your movements and all of your comments and all of your interactions fluid so that you become a friend and not somebody who's trying to take this poor woman's scissors. And one of the things I try to get people to do is look around. Is this woman cold? Is it chilly in the room? Mary, here, it's really cold. I'm a little chilly. I'm going to get you a sweater. Okay, so now you have Mary's sweater. Mary, here, let me get let me help you with your sweater. You take the hand with the scissors first. You say, here, Mary, let me hold your scissors for you, and we'll get your sweater on. You take the scissors, you stick them in your back pocket, scissors are gone. You help Mary with her sweater. You have a conversation while you're doing it. Now the scissors are out of Mary's mind. She's, you know, she's gone on to something else, and you as a friend are helping her. You're talking to her. You're making her comfortable. You're having a conversation, and you're interacting. So now there's no power struggle. And basically I teach them to use the environment to their advantage. Which is really important, and just that common distraction of putting the sweater mm-hmm. on to get the scissors versus trying to pull that away, um, you know, when someone right. doesn't want to give something, you know, now now it's who's going to get stabbed with the scissors or who's going to get exactly. cut. Um, right. And it's, you, know, you don't want a power struggle. No, no. Um, and, and so those light distractions are really important. And I think the role modeling... Um, you know, is really good. It's it's something that I typically don't do in my training. It's not my my forte. Um, but you know, for you and for Tipa, I think it works really really well and is extremely powerful because people do um, think that they have the concept, but it's a yep. whole different thing when you have <laughs> when you have to make it work. <laughs> You when know, you're 20 uh, years old and you've gone to, you know, a couple of trainings and you think you have it down pat, 20 years old you don't have the experience and you have to you have to have the experience in order to understand the disease, I think, in order to truly live it and truly understand the whole dementia process. It's great, you know, I love working with PCAs and CNAs. They're my favorites out of anybody because they are so young. And but they're also very impressionable, and they want to learn. They want to make things better. So when you get somebody up and you get them moving, and you get the you know I become the person with dementia, and I'm leaving. I'm going to walk out of the room, and they have to keep me safe, and they don't want to hurt me. They don't want me to walk outside and get hit by a car. Now they have to really think. They have to think past the books. They have to think past you know the handouts that they got. And they have to put themselves on my level. What can I do for Chris so that she doesn't leave and get hurt? How can mm-hmm. I help her? And for me, yeah. teaching that, I love I love to do it. It's one of my favorite things to do in life. And the um, the PCAs and the caregivers, they get it mm-hmm. and they keep it. It's not something that they've read and they forgot what they read. It's a practical thing that they can take with them. And they well, can remember it. And you're allowing them to be part of the process and to have input, exactly. you know, yep. on that. Um, one of the things I'm doing for a training coming up here is um, on feeding um, people in end stages. And mm-hmm. as a as a family member, I get sometimes really frustrated when I observe staff 
um, just putting a spoon in somebody's mouth, not telling them it's coming, not even looking sometimes, you know, or putting people at a table with food but nobody there to assist them and then they get upset when somebody can't, um, you know, is trying to grab their their juice or starts to eat alone and then they spill and make a mess. Um, you know, it's it's little things that we can do to, to make such a huge difference. So in, oh, in this one training that we're going to be doing, I'm actually going to blindfold them and have earplugs in, and they're going to feed one another. And oh, they're going to eat, you. and they're going to eat pureed food, and they're going to feel the difference in terms of temperature and taste and, um, you know, what it's really like. Because I'm hoping, um, yep. and, and well, and I've done this before, but I'm hoping that this will really help this group look at it differently in terms of what it is. And, and most of the staff are great. But it's it's just, again, having that first of mind of what it's like to be on the other end of the stick. Absolutely. Um, you know, in this process, I think is is an important thing to to learn, and to um, and not just learn it from um, you know a, a school book thing, but to really feel the compassion and, and they have um, to live it. In order to understand it, they have to live it. Yeah, and, and when I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say because it just it changes the whole approach. It changes the style. It changes the interaction. It changes the relationship between the two people. Absolutely, you you become when you're when you understand the process when when you've been part of it, you're much more compassionate. You're going to understand if you're working with somebody and you have them you have earplugs and you have a blindfold on them, and you're giving them pureed food or you're giving them thicket. It's you know, it's totally different. There once once you do that with them because I've done that before and it makes a huge difference. Suddenly they understand it. They don't know what they're eating. They don't know what they're drinking. You could be giving them anything and it's scary. Yeah. But if if you're yep. with somebody and you're talking to them, you could be talking about anything. Yeah. And it doesn't even, doesn't even matter. Talk about you know the sun. Talk about what's going on. The weather. It doesn't matter. But the communication has to be there. The touch has to be there. Yep. Yep. And well, and I, I used to, um, my daughter, I, I'll never forget, she's like, how do you get Grandma to eat? And I said, well, you know, it, it is a whole trust thing. And I said, but when she purses her lips tight, sometimes I'll just take the spoon and I'll just tickle her lip. I won't push it in. I'll just let her know it's there. And she's like, oh, my gosh, she pops open like a little bird. And I said, because now it's her choice, and she knows it's there, you know, and it, it's just a very simple, you know, little thing versus trying to force something on somebody. None of us want that, nope. you know. So, um, Christina, can you tell us a, a little bit more about the book? You know, why um, why did you choose to, to write the book? What else can you do but laugh? And, and how did you come up with the title? I wrote the book for several different reasons. I, um, I've been, like I said, been in the field for over thirty some odd years. Got laid off from my job, um, and I'm I am now visually impaired. I'm losing my sight, but I don't want to stop working. I have thirty some odd years of stories in my head, and all of these stories, I've you know, families I've worked with, families I've cared about, families I've cried with, families I've gotten mad at, <laughs> but it's. 
all of these stories are people, are real people, the people that I knew, the people that I still talk to, the people that I work with. And for me, it's a way to give back because when you talk, when I do caregiver groups and when I do trainings, especially for the um, the general public, when people get together, they realize, oh, your mom does that too? Well, my father does this. And for some reason, for as well-known as Alzheimer's is, was it over 5.4 million people have dementia or some type of dementia and it's growing? When you're a caregiver, sometimes you feel so incredibly alone. And that's why I wrote the book. I wrote the book to honor the people that have had dementia and that have passed that I know and for the caregivers that are going through it now. And I wrote the book the way I could have made it very clinical, but I didn't want to because dementia doesn't doesn't pick on one particular class of people. It doesn't pick on the educated or the uneducated. So I wanted to make it easy make it an easy read so that somebody who has, you know, a high school education or even a junior high school education can understand it and somebody who has a PhD and above can understand it. I just mm-hmm. wanted to write it so everybody could get something out of it and know that they weren't alone. I have college kids using this book now who are in you know going into the related healthcare fields just to understand what's out there. Mm-hmm. If you have an X-ray technician who you know is going to school to be an X-ray tech, someday you're going to have to X-ray the foot of somebody with dementia, and it's like you can't tell them you know okay just hold your foot at a right angle or whatever. You need to understand who this person is. You need to just take the time that two or three minutes just to you know kind of get a feel for them and realize mm-hmm. that they're real people. They're real people and they're scared and they don't understand. And for the caregivers, that they're not alone. Yep. Well, and that's great. And you you brought up a, a wonderful point, which kind of ties into, you know, so Beth had called in earlier about dementia-friendly communities and businesses. Like you said, being an x-ray tech or being at a coffee shop or a grocery store, we all need to know how to learn to live with this disease um, graciously. And and it doesn't have to be complicated because really it's down to being respectful yep, of exactly. others. And um, we've we've kind of gotten away from that. It's you know we're all about us and our time frame and our mood and our emotions. And you know that is not customer service. <laughs> it's no, it's, it's and it's not and it's not customer service whether in, you're in the community or whether you're you know in an you're working in an assisted living or you know any other home health agency. It's all about customer service. It's all about the person that you're working with. It's not about you. It's not about how many people you have on your assignment. It's not about how fast can you get everything done. It's about what can you do for that person who has dementia to help them feel safe and healthy and happy. Mm-hmm. It's not about how fast you can move because when you move too fast, you scare people. Yeah. Now, Harry Urban um, made a great comment here in the chat box. He says, just because you have dementia, um, you know, you're still allowed to laugh. Don't take this disease so seriously. There is a time to laugh. And, you know, your book is, what else can you do, you know, but laugh? Um, and, And to me, laughter is one of the core things that 
I mean, for me, that's one of the most precious things in any of my relationships. I love to laugh. Laughter oh, changes our, our, our chemical balance. I mean, it, you know, it's a great exercise. There's laughter yoga, which can just help change, again, that the, the chemical balance within us. Um, you know, I mean, there's research behind it. But, but more so, laughter is, you know, just those silly, precious moments that we remember, um, and so, you know, what do you want to remember when someone is ill? Do you want to remember the disease or do you want to remember the relationship? And, you know, my hope for you is that you want to remember the relationship and not allow the disease to rob you of that. And I think sometimes we give in to the disease and not that it's not tough and hard at times. Oh my gosh, you know, I've been on this road 30 years now with my mom and she's now in hospice. I get it's hard and it's not always pretty, but oh my gosh, the stories I have to tell, the lessons I have learned, um, you know, uh, they're just unbelievable um, and so precious and so valuable and she's allowed me to then share them with the world, which makes them even better. You know, when you when you have these stories, you know, don't keep them to yourself. Share them. And share that's, them. that's basically what I'm doing with, you know, mm-hmm. with the stories that I have because you have to laugh. It's, you know, yep. I call dementia God's cruelest gift because for the person who has it, at some point in their life, they're they're just going to go. They're just, this is who they are. They're there in the moment. For the caregivers, they have the hot pot. So I call it, I call it God's cruelest gift because of that. But one of the things I teach people is you have to laugh. And I'll do you know I'll do care, care, caregiver groups, and people are oh my God, this is terrible, this is terrible, I can't stand it, I can't do this. My mom is incontinent, my dad is this, you know, all the rest of that. And it's like okay, so what do you do with it? What do you do with all of this stuff? What does your mom do? Well, you know, I'm trying to clean up my mom after an accident, and she's singing Let Me Call You Sweetheart. And, you know, it's like that's what you hold on to. You Sing hold with on her. to this. <laughs> exactly. No kidding. I think I know every word to every old song, anywhere from the 20s to the 40s. And what's scary is when I'm by myself, I sing them. It's not good. <laughs> Makes me a little nervous. But it's like you have to hold on to those moments. You have to hold on to, you know, one of one of my chapters is about this woman, little, my first chapter, the little Greek woman. This woman was hysterical. And her son, God love him, he wanted to do everything right for his mom because they came from Greece when he was young. He did everything right. I mean, I worked with him. We worked with the police department, the fire department, the whole bit to, you know, get a locked gate and all the rest of that stuff. This little woman <laughs> turned over a flower pot one day and climbed over the fence. Now, you've got to picture this 80-some-odd-year-old woman, Greek woman, still in mourning from her husband who died 100 years ago with the black dress and the big clunky orthopedic shoes, scaling a fence. And it's like, that's <laughs> what he, that's what he you know, with the bun in the back of the head, that's what, she, that's what he remembered. You know, my mm-hmm. mom scaling a fence, the same fence that she would scream at him for when he was a kid climbing. <laughs> and it's like that's you know that's what you have to remember you have to re- you have to hold on to that stuff when you're sitting at Thanksgiving dinner and you're talking to your family about grandma or grandpa who have passed you don't want to talk about the indignities all that stuff disappears 
you want to talk about the funny things, the things that they did, the things that made you smile, things that made you hot dance. That That's what you want to remember, which is pretty much why I wrote the book. And I'm working yeah. on the second one now, which is um, specifically about men and their dementia, which is always interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because they, well, they, they're just... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was I was just going to add on to um, your comment about about the joy and the dignity. Sometimes people think that um, they're laughing at the person, and you're laughing mm-hmm. with them. You know, if this Absolutely. if this was any other friend, and you had that situation, <clears throat> you know, occur. I mean, I one of the funniest moments in my life was sitting in a car. On the way to the airport, a friend was driving, and it was Minnesota weather, and her windshield got stuck, the the windshield wiper. So she went out to smack him, and as she picked him up, her ankle twisted, which wasn't funny, but she just went down. And I'm sitting in the car, and I just see her face sliding <laughs> down the car, and then she popped back up again. And to this day, that happened probably 30 years ago, and I still... I mean, I can barely laugh over that visual of that, oh, you know, yeah. because it was just a silly moment. She didn't get hurt, um, but it was just one of those great moments between nobody knew but her and I, and, and we still laugh about it. <laughs> and and it's, uh, it's okay to laugh. You're laughing oh, with your relationship. You're not laughing, yep. you know, at it. And I think that's one of the, one of the myths you know, that we have to um, kind of stomp out about laughter. Um, it's okay. Like Carrie said, it's okay. You know, it is it's okay. needed. You know, it's a yeah, good it thing. Is. It's a healthy thing, um, you know, for that. So um, can you uh, tell our audience how they would get in contact with you, Christina? Sure. My um my business website, and basically what I do is I do I do trainings in any kind of health healthcare facility, you know, assisted livings, nursing homes, skilled care, home health agencies. I do community outreach, and my website for my business is C A Luca L U C. I'm sorry, no, my website is www.calucaconsulting.com. or you can call me at three three nine four four zero six nine four six. Wonderful. And I travel. I do it all. I'm sorry. I said that's wonderful. And then, can they get the book right from your site, or should they go to Amazon? Or my book will be out on Amazon. It will go out nationally January 4th. Right okay. now, what I tell people is email me because if you go through the and I, I told my publisher I was going to do this. If you go through the publisher, the shipping and handling is very expensive. Mm-hmm. If you call me or email me, then you know we'll work out something, and it only costs basically a couple of dollars to mail the book pretty much, pretty much anywhere. Mm-hmm. So it's cheaper to get the book through me. <laughs> okay, wonderful. Well, that's good to know. I really appreciate you spending the time with us today, especially with the holidays creeping along here, uh, Christine, oh, no and I wish problem. nothing but the best. And, um, again, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for inviting me. Great. Well, you have a wonderful holiday. Bye now. You too. Take care. Um, Again, I just want to remind people, if you are, you know, maybe going home for the holidays, visiting with family and things have changed, uh, maybe you need a support group, uh, again, you can go to the Alzheimer's, uh, Alzheimer's Disease International, and you'll be able to... um, 
find an Alzheimer's Association closest to you. There's also lots of great online supports. Um, in Facebook, there's Forget-Me-Nots and Memory People, um, Young Onset Groups. So there's all different types of, of places where you can connect with people. So don't don't ever forget about that. If you're thinking you might be interested in that Tau uh clinical trial, uh, go to alzheimerstudies.com. Again, that's just alzheimerstudies.com, or you can go to the Alzheimer's team on Facebook. Um, if you're looking for a gift, so you know it's a little bit late, but you've got the um, Puzzle With Me. Um, you've got Max Wallach's book, which is absolutely wonderful, um, you know, about putting the underwear in the refrigerator. Um, why did Grandma put her underwear in the refrigerator? You have Tipa Snow's book about her gems and Christina Luca's book, which will be coming out here on the 4th, What Else Can I Do But Laugh? So lots of lots of ways to be able to, to help one another. Um, dementia Chats, our webinar series where I interview those with dementia, will be this afternoon at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, 2 p.m. Central, and that's 1 p.m. Pacific Time. We'd love to have you join us with that. Uh, you can come with your questions and your comments. Um, it's a very fun, interesting group uh, where we always learn and share. And we will see you next week on the 30th, uh, 31st. Uh, we're going to have kind of an open discussion, so come with your questions and comments. Um, we'd love to hear uh, what, what your thoughts are. Um, on dementia, what do we need to do? How do we need to change things? And uh, maybe what what you're doing. And I'm sure we'll be talking about the Purple Angel Project on that show as well. Thanks so much and have a happy holiday. Talk to you all soon. Bye now. Hi, this is Suzanne Newman, host of the Answers for Elders podcast and radio show. We are the North Star that guides you through the complicated journey of senior care with trusted experts in money, law, living solutions, and more. So join us on this station, your favorite podcast channel, or just go to AnswersForElders.com. Meet the way showers who will help your journey a lot easier.